How's it going, Nate John? It's going well. Yeah, things are nice here in Texas. Very nice. Same here in Colorado. So uh, I think this is episode five, right? Yeah, episode five. Um, <laughs> so EDD, I've already lost count. Um, so we've got another guest on today, um, and he's arguably one of the most accomplished American strongman athletes, holds pro status in both under 105K and the open heavyweights, the former holder of multiple world records, none other than Andrew Clayton. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Yeah, I'm really glad to be on. Uh, I've already become a, a fan of this objectively correct podcast. So that's awesome. <laughs> World's strongest opinions that are objectively correct. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying that's 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 the tagline that you know you, you, you have to back it up with some facts or at least some type of evidence. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, we try to we try to bring facts when we can, but you know, a lot of it's uh, a lot of it's opinions. The facts are good, right? We want to have facts, and we want to have solutions for you know to to um, follow up with some of our opinions. You know, we don't want to be just uh, you know uh, have a bunch of opinions or come off as complainers without solutions for you know various things that we talk about. I'm should I go, should I go ahead and leave now? Because I, I don't know if I have solutions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, it's all good. You know, I mean, I mean, the other big part of, of this podcast is just to, to start conversation, right? Um, to touch on the, some of the subjects that just don't maybe get enough, um, don't get aired enough, right? That we don't talk about enough as a community. So, so we don't have to have solutions. You know, ideally, you know, we want to offer solutions, but maybe they don't happen you know, every podcast, maybe over time, some, you know, as we get the conversations going, getting, you know, more heads, heads together, you know, we come up with solutions. So, so we got to start the conversation first, right? Right. So we, uh, we're, we're kind of doing things a, a little bit differently here than we've done in the last four. Uh, I put together sort of an agenda, some talking points, and we'll try to kind of just go through that. And first one, I mean, why don't you just kick it off and tell us about some of the world records you held in the past. I mean, anything that's relevant to those uh, records and circumstances around them, uh, et cetera. So. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I didn't get any open world records. Um, but kind of like my process of getting records actually started like in a teenage class. So I did, I did like the teen axle record. And then I was at a show or at the show I did that. Uh, they were doing the open amateur record in the states which was actually relatively close to the pro uh to the pro record so chad robinson hit 400 i think the pro record at the time was like 411 from like asm like that same year uh so it was like really really close so then i moved it up to 410 for the amateurs uh and then i didn't go for i attempted to break it again before i went pro and then i didn't hit a, a world record until i did a dumbbell in 2017 and that was in the 105 class and really that record is kind of like weird because um, no one knew it was a record at the time. Like it wasn't announced, like it was a record. Uh, so obviously it didn't get weighed out. Uh, but like, yeah, it just wasn't a record that was like really like tracked. Like even when you look at like the Arnold Classic, they tracked the reps on the dumbbell for the longest time. So Derek Pounds or Mike Jenkins. So this idea of a max dumbbell and a max Bartos dumbbell, which is a Searstar dumbbell, which is really difficult, was like unheard of. So I hit that uh, kind of retroactively. It is a record. Uh, so I stayed a record for a while until recently. Um, and then after winning World Strongest Man for 105 that year, the next January, like six weeks later, uh, 
I did an axle record because I was kind of getting sick of 105. Um, and uh, then fast forward to me attempting to break some American records in open class and then the world record, I got hurt. And I did the most impressive record of mine, which is actually, and not a lot of people know about it. It's not even strongman related, but I, I did a 24 hour skier ultra marathon where I was actually seated um, because I had had a stem cell in, in my knee. So you're not really supposed to move around a lot with it. Right. And so that's still the adaptive world record. It was the all around world record for the skier. Um, I did that in 2020 um, and raised like a good bit of money for the wounded warriors. So that that's probably the most impressive thing I've done is, is that to be honest out of, out of those three, but I held all three of those, the dumbbell and the axle and the skier at the same time. So that was a really cool feat to be like one yeah. in it's, it's like max ability at like a pound for pound, you know, 105 is always like the pound for pound strongest class they say. And then I'm over in the endurance area, you know, weighing probably like 265 at the time. And I'm doing, you know, an endurance hours. So, yeah. Dude, that's incredible. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned that nobody knew that your dumbbell was a record at a time. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of probably maybe a, a, a noteworthy mention for Luke again. I mean, until he started really tracking world records for all the weight class athletes, you know, in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, it was really hard to know who, who had what, if something was a record. You know, I mentioned before when we did the Atlas Zone world record, I mean, we had to, I, I ended up reaching out to a lot of people around the world trying to figure out what the actual record was or if anybody even knew. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, we've come a long ways from that perspective. Yeah, it wasn't you know, so much that we didn't have like a, an idea where it was. I remember going back with Sean uh, DeMarinas, who was at the show, and we were talking about like what was possible and where the record was. And we had said like 275 was probably like if somebody got 275, they'd probably have a record. So I got 270. And I missed 280. And uh, really is because there's like nobody left. It was just me and Wesley Claiborne because they combined the two classes. And like we both we both missed 280. But if he had gotten 280, I would have gotten 280. So, you know, it's one of those things. But yeah, it, it's, it's just it's not tracked. Um, and there's a guy like in Russia, I don't think it's the guy that used to hold the record, um, but he had done like 264 for like four reps. But again, if the dumbbell is different, it's home country, it's not a full contest. I mean, it's the stuff that Luke talked about is like, it's just, it's just not the same. And unfortunately it's not head to head. So right. I really don't know. And then add all that, like it's not weighed. And I, and, and, I, and I'll say like, there's a chance it was less than 270 because there's not as many spacers in the Bartos dumbbell, but I would True. be willing, but I've hit because I've done open, I've hit 250 for like, or 253 for like three reps multiple times in my career. So there's like no reason to believe I couldn't do it. Right. Um, but there's a, there's, there's a potential that it was less, but that Dumbo was really hard. And uh, I, I'm sure you've used it, but like, it was still new yep. on the circuit. I think Bartos was a sponsor in like 2016, 2017. So it was like only after yep. one year of it even being released. Yeah. I remember they, they had like a 150 dumbbell at, at nationals that first year with the Bartos and a lot of people struggled with it because it's so much different. It's longer. It's yeah. It's a, a much more awkward dumbbell. And yeah, like, like you said, I mean, implement um, specifications, make a difference. Uh, you know, my dumbbell that I have is, I think is actually pretty easy comparative to a lot of other dumbbells because it's shorter. Um, See, so I yeah, agree with Luke in, in like having the, the frame of reference of like, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly the same log because those bilateral pressing, I don't think it matters as much. Um, because if you have an easier clean because the log's bigger, 
it, it technically is further out in front of you on the press, but it's less range of motion. So it kind of balances out. But I think the dumbbell being unilateral in nature and, and being so about midline and so sure. about body positioning, like you can't have a high elbow position very well with a bar toast dumbbell. I mean, guys try it, but it's hit or miss. But like with a monster style dumbbell, you can. Obviously, you can't grab the end of the dumbbell and clean it when it's a bar toast dumbbell. Uh, and we, if we have enough uh, records from the open class to see that it's still behind the other world record. So there are differences in dumbbell types and that makes that record a little different than Axel. Axel, I would be okay with them kind of being the same because mm -hmm. I actually don't see a big difference with fixed and rotating uh, when you add in the other variables like how slick the axle is, how far the weight's added like further out, how high the pick is. Um, because I've actually, th I actually think having a really compact fixed axle were some of the easier ones for me to clean and press, like more consistent rep to rep. Yeah. Interesting. And hey, John, just a, just a note, if you got anything to say, I can't see you for some reason on my end. So I don't oh, yeah. keep talking no if you got something to say, man, jump in. Yeah. I know how the mobile version works of this. So you only yeah. see who's talking. No, I think, I mean, that's all fascinating. Like to me, the fact that you would do like long distance endurance things while being like a strength athlete, just super impressive overall. That was my main thing looking through all that you've done, just because a lot of times there is this like idea that you have to either pick like strength or endurance. That's always impressive to me. I, mean, I wasn't like good at endurance, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's the mindset thing. I think a lot of strength athletes, uh, I just reposted someone like John Clark, I think it's his last name. Uh, had the record at one point on the ski erg, and he he was a former pro strongman in the UK. I hope I got it right. Uh, but I talked to him before I did mine to kind of learn from it. But yeah, it's just like you know when you're in strongman, you got a mindset of like you know trying to win. So it's just breaking down what you need to do to win in a different arena. Um, so yeah, so anyone that does strongman level could probably do any sport. Maybe not because they're not genetically built for it, but you know to a high level, you know for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, I mean, that's a little bit about your world records that you've held. Um, how about opinions on setting world records? I know, you know, our last, really last four episodes, we've touched on it uh, either for an entire episode or, you know, we've touched on it uh, briefly. Um, you've, you've listened to the one with uh, Luke. I think everybody else knows, you know, kind of where we stand. What, uh, what opinions do you have? Yeah, so I agree a lot with Luke. Um, you know, uh, he started tracking it. So that's obviously you kind of... I wouldn't even call it awareness, but it is kind of awareness, but having some universal area where it's tracked, but it's just, uh, man, there's just too many holes in the system, you know, like even like in powerlifting federations, like, you know, they're not working together, you know, you got open powerlifting, but that doesn't mean they're all on the same judging standards. And there's just a lot of holes to like, really, like you really have to be head to head. But then the caveat to that is it's in somebody's home country with their home right. piece of equipment. Um, so all the, both the records, I guess only both, because I only have two, um, both the records, I didn't own any of the contest equipment. And so like, I definitely, I mean, that's not what you, you don't have to own it clearly because I got the records, but you know, those, those are things you got to find too. And if you watch the giants live guys, they go to that warehouse and train on the exact farmer's implements because they're a TV production. They're trying to the best, you know, everybody do as well as they can. Um, right. so it's just really difficult because you really need everybody in one spot with the same home field advantage, same home judges. I mean, uh, there are still guys. I would say so there, there are people that have only competed in their home country. And I'm really blessed to be able to get to go international because it does add a variable of stress. 
You know, sure. if you're cutting weight, which I actually did not do internationally, but, uh, you know, you have to deal with that while flying. So that affects that. But food, uh, time, language barriers, like being in Spain, like a lot of the loaders for the event didn't speak English. So you would ask, like, how much does implement weigh? And you might not even know because unless they said, like, a number you could understand or or, kilo, or they identified as kilos, you're like, I don't think that's right. So right. it's really hard to have everything fair to everyone. So anytime these people come over, like OSG is coming up, anytime the guys come over and compete at OSG, I know I have an advantage. I mean, I live 90 minutes from where it is this year. I live about four and a half hours away from where it was previously. So like I'll 100% say like I have basically the best advantage of any athlete being local. And so anybody that comes overseas and even gets close, like they could have been like a 5% swing if it was in their home country on their home kit, their home judges, their home language. So, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. I went a little bit off topic, but that's how, that's how I feel like as a whole with the records is, is you have, it's impossible to like narrow it down and there's going to be some bias or favoritism or whatever because of where you're at. And sure. You know, and yeah, it, and it I, head to head. What do you think about, and, and this is kind of talking about favoritism, one thing that's always kind of struck me is, uh, you know, local athletes being able to train on the competition equipment, especially when it's, you know, it's pretty unique. It's something that, that not everybody can get a hold of. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, cause that's, that is, that is a definite clear advantage. Oh uh, man. How polarizing do I need to get? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> as, as polarizing uh, as, you, as you want, man. <laughs> I mean, it's one of opinion hours. So. <laughs> It is 105, so you have to polarize yourself. It seems to be how people get popular. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, so a good promoter tests their kit. So, like, you have to have people test it. You know, World Strongest Man tests their events. They test them with reserve athletes, so they're not – they're usually not competing. Um, but that doesn't mean the guys haven't trained on it or, or familiarized, familiarized with it. Um, it doesn't seem to affect Americans too much because, you know, we have American winners – uh, but when it comes to like, if it's not accessible to everyone, so if, if the promoter is letting the local athletes test it and not advertising for other athletes to go there, I, I like potentially see it as an issue. Like, um, I don't want to like pick on any promoter in particular, but like, I mean, I could theoretically drive somewhere and like, I have a flexible enough job. I could theoretically like get on a plane on points and go somewhere and test it out. Uh, but if I don't know about that, then I don't have the opportunity. Sure. Um and that is a big difference. Like when you go for records, even just one, I mean, most of the guys are at such a high level. It only takes like one session. Like uh, before I did my dumbbell record, I did one session with Wesley Claiborne up to 210. We did an EMOM. We went back and forth. So I, I did it on the top of the minute. He did it, you know, on 30 seconds. And that one session, that's the only time I touched that, that style dumbbell, the whole prep. And I didn't even go over 230 something pounds in the whole prep, but that session there was the one that made it possible to hit the record. So I, it, it can't be uh, underestimated how valuable it is to the local athletes having that, you know, having that advantage. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I agree, you know, it should be available for everyone, but you know, if it's overseas and you just, you can't exactly. get on a plane just fly overseas to, to go train a day for a day, come back home and then fly back to the competition. So. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, so my, I'm just my saying, like, 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 try to pick people that aren't in the competition and yeah. scale it. So, you know, if you have a 105 kilo guy that's like normally like 10% weaker on events, then you know you're going to be 10% heavier. So, if you're trying to pick the yoke weight, if he's running 350 kilo 
at whatever speed and you want the winner to hit this speed. Okay. Well now we're going 380 kilo is the weight of the yoke or whatever, you know, you're adding 10%. Right. Don't pick guys that are in the competition to test it because that's not, you know, I mean, a lot of the events can be tested by like amateurs or even like a, not a lower level, but like a normal open competitor. I mean, 105 is constantly bragging they're as strong as open competitors. So they just test everything with open competitors because that's really a top 105 should be about a middle of the road open competitor. So get an open competitor locally. He or she can test the, you know, I say she as if there's 105 women, but whatever (laughs) equality, (laughs) but yeah, get him, you know, to get under the yoke and, and get the time and see if it ends up being where you want the hit for the winner and, or, you know, whatever event. Yeah. 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 My, my kind of opinion is, is, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same mind, right. If uh, you shouldn't like competitors, if you, if you got specialized equipment, something that's just so far, you know, yokes are kind of yokes, maybe, um, you kind of get into, you know, specialized, um, I don't know, wheelbarrows, frames, chains, stuff. This is like chains, especially it's hard to get a hold of for most people, especially in the middle of the country. You know, I think that stuff should be reserved for competition day only, right? Have somebody else test it. Uh, athletes shouldn't be able to use it. You know, and I kind of a, a little bit weird using the word fair because, right, it's strong. You're supposed to show up and just be strong, right? doesn't matter what the equipment is, but there is a level of, of favoritism, I think, or fairness that, that is involved when you when you let just a handful of athletes train on that equipment. I think there's like a subconscious, like there's always gonna be a subconscious bias. Like um, I don't even know what the, the term is, but like the more you're around a certain situation, the more normalized it is. So like uh, this is going to be sound like a terrible off the wall example, but like, like police officers. Right. And I'm going to get probably going to get hate for this. So like when a police officer shoots someone because they pull out something that looks like a gun, looks like a gun, they're often hate on because later on when everything slows down and they're out in the heat in the moment, they're like, that's clearly not a gun. But they're conditioned in their training to look for a gun. They're conditioned to like, you know, so they're doing this. So the more they see this event happen is more is like that. So, so like when you train with someone and you're constantly judging that person, they always have a good walkout. They always have a good walkout. They always have a good walkout. That down calls becomes a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. Sure. And, and I know it sounds like a ridiculous example. It's just the first one I could think of in psychology. Um, but yeah, so like, even though everybody wants to be fair, when you have like your home team, or like, you know, your, you know, people in your business or whatever, there's always going to be a little bit of bias. And we try really hard not to have bias, but even I have bias. Sure. Like I have sure. bias to the competitors that I, that, that I think got the call and, and did it based on how I might have relations, relationships with them. And I can own that. But when people say there's no bias or that there's never a wrong call, I think I find that really hard to accept. Like there was a world's strongest man judge uh, that I, I won't name, but I had, I had talked about an athlete that had gotten a down call on circus dumbbell and it was a rep event. And I remember you guys talking about like the down calls have to be faster on circus dumbbell. So I got like, yeah, you know, yeah. rep events. They made yes. you do that. Yes. yes. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like in, in general rep events are a little bit like elbow lock down. Um, especially when you know that the previous heats have done like eight or nine reps in a minute sure. or 75 seconds. So I, I made a comment just kind of making small talk about one of the athletes that looked like he got a lot of down calls when he was like really side bent um, because I knew that athlete lacked like mobility. And I like circus dumbbell identifying the athletes that lack shoulder mobility because that is an attribute you have to have to be strong. And that's one that I have. And i say, I don't have another thing. So I'm trying to gain points on the fact that I stay mobile enough to hold a circus dumbbell, you know, 
you know, directly above my head. And sure. he told me, yeah, well, when we go back to edit it for TV, every time we have been correct. I said, every time. He said, every time. And I immediately shut down the conversation because, like, no one can be right all the time. I'm not right, right all the time. And the fact that he couldn't even just say, yeah, there might have been one or two there, but, you know, it's hard to judge in 75 seconds. I would have said, fair. But he was like, literally, every time we've been correct when we've been criticized, I'm like, even no. <laughs> that's, like, that's like those guys that have never made a mistake in their life, right? Well, I, I've never made a mistake. You're right. <laughs> never made, I've never learned anything either. <laughs> Can't learn anything if you don't, if you don't make mistakes. But uh... <laughs> Sorry if I'm going off on ramps. I, I just think it all kind of it ties no, in. It's, and it's, it's good it's conversation, man. No, man, go, go on, go on your rant, man. I mean, that's what we're here for. So by all means, that's, uh, I mean, it's good. It's good conversation, good topics. No, I'm loving it so far, man. So um, anything else with world records? I mean, you know, we've already talked about, you know, gain weights being verified and, you know, equipment specifications. I think, you know, Luke had mentioned ranges on, on specifications rather than having exact standardized spec, uh, specs, you know, I think, uh, you know, I agree with that. That's a pretty, pretty fair, um, pretty fair ask of, of everybody around the world. But, you know, you kind of mentioned some things about, you know, these guys that are often, you know, countries that, that we don't really have a lot of access to and they're, you know, we don't know the athletes well and, you know, I think that's where it becomes really important to me is when we do, you know, and I'm not saying anything negative about, about them or that, you know, they may be, you know, cheating or anything. That's not the point. But, but when we are so far apart still, um, I think it just becomes really absolutely imperative that we have some kind of standards to keep the whole, you know, the whole world community um, on the same page, that, that there's, there's a, a standard of, of integrity. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's like, I mean, oh man, I'm not high enough up in, in strong, or I'm not, I'm not really like in strongman much now. And I never really was. I always trained by myself and kind of did my own thing. I don't have a crew, but it's hard to, I don't want to say be a whistleblower, but it's hard to point out some of these things because you'll get blacklisted. You know, if you said, oh, all the people in this country are doing X, Y, or Z, you're not going to get an international invite to go compete in that, in that federation. Right. You're punished for it. And so what I see now is I see people like constantly like, like we'll all go to the show. Hypothetically, we all go to the show and we all see that, you know, as Luke pointed out, like one yoke is heavier than the other or that one, whatever is heavier than the other, whatever lane, everybody wins in that lane. And we all know it, but we don't publicly post it because if we publicly post, even though it's pretty obvious, pretty obvious, all the athletes know people are talking about it's all amongst ourselves. We'll get blacklisted for pointing it out. So then we have to like hold that. And that is really tough. Like it's just not a tr very transparent thing. And it ends up like creating some issues. And then when you have the international guys, like, you know, it's like if they're never competing against us and they're posting, they're doing 180 kilo log, but it's not really 180 kilos. And it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to yeah, solve yeah. that problem, but I see it as there's so many times that uh, there are people that want to speak and just say, Hey, just to let you guys know, this is what happened not even really saying it was anyone's fault. It just happened, but they just feel like if they say that they could be punished and it's better just to like, let it happen and then be punished. Right. But yeah. And then we ended up, I mean, this, we're in this vicious cycle now where we just keep letting it happen. Nobody says anything. And that's, and I guess that's kind of where, you know, John and I kind of, 
when we, we initially talked about starting this podcast was sort of one of the underlying purposes was to start having these conversations and, you know, being careful, you know, we don't want to point fingers at anybody. Uh, you know, it's never our intention to throw anybody under the bus. Um, you know, we bring up examples, generalized examples that could be linked to, you know, a hundred different examples right around the world. And, you know, everybody's got to remember that this is a, a world international sport. People are competing on every continent except for, I mean, hell, I know, you know, I did a stint in Antarctica and there was a strongman down there. So, I mean, people are training strongman on every freaking continent in the world, you know? So, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I, I need to throw that caveat in there probably again too, but when we talk about this stuff, like we're, you know, it has nothing to do with any specific person. There's just a lot of examples that, that, yeah, we, we need to talk about because if we don't, we're never going to progress. And, you know, so we're going to continue down this vicious cycle of, of um, letting things slide. Um, and John made a good point in one of our previous episodes too, that, that there's kind of maybe this, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of a loss for words, but there's kind of a, a, a judges maybe influenced to give good calls to bad lifts because it makes their yeah. organization or their their or their competition or whatever it is look good, right? And we keep going down this road of seeing like worse and worse calls because it's this concept. Maybe I mean it's kind of total speculation. I think that that it's just making us look good. But really in the long run, as it, as that uh, standard or whatever deteriorates, it just, it starts looking worse and worse and worse. Right. So we have to have these conversations. I think Luke said something really good about that. Like he said, uh, it, it's no one really wants to get like super mad about it, but it takes away from the hard work of someone that did a record that held it to a slightly higher standard or maybe was forced to hold it to a higher standard. You know, if the, if the down call is three seconds, they have all the three seconds and then no one knows that there was a higher standard of that judge. So the, sure. so the record gets broken and it's different. Like a great, I'll give it like, I don't want to talk about the world records forever. Cause I'm sure I'm saying something stupid. I mean, I will have a regret. Um, <laughs> but uh, so when I went for the Axel award record, I don't think anyone knows this cause it, it wasn't really like, it was like live streamed through some Facebook, but like nothing like today. Like I'll say right now, like today, strongman is improving drastically. It's, it's to the promoters are all the federations ones that were, possibly talking about not talking about you know the shows that are included or not included in some of our conversations like they're all doing the work that actually needs to be done i'm just an athlete and a coach i'm not doing that so i do thank them for doing that um but uh w with the actual record there i i think it was marcin it might have been someone else he competed in an scl 105 kilo show i believe it was day two max axel off tires uh again we don't know if they're weighed whatever he did 180. He got that. He went up to 185 and he dropped it behind his head. He did have the lockout. He got the down call, but he dropped it behind his head and they took it away from him. So that rule was you can't drop behind your head. Do sure, I agree sure. with that? Whatever. I mean, if it was specified in the rules, I guess, but he definitely locked it out. So I, I had a conversation with him via Facebook just to verify, hey, 180 is the record before I go do it. But to me, 185 was the record because he got it. If I did 181 or 182, or whatever, and I chipped with a 180, he, he did 185. So that's why my opening attempt when I attempted 201 kilos was uh, was supposed to be, I think, 188. I can't remember what. That was such a, a cluster of like 
mixing, like, even though I sent an email asking like for specifications saying I'd, I'd compensate, it ended up being like a cluster of like kilo bumpers and pound plates and the axles loaded to the very end and like the weights are sliding a little bit. That's why a fixed axle is better. If that right. weight's fit together, oh man, way more confident. Like when you split, you don't go to like one side. Like I have that, re- I personally have that respect for the athletes that came before me. And like, if somebody gets a record or I'm sorry, was taking a record away because it was like really close, I'm just going to identify that as being the record, you know? And that goes for like lifts, you know, even like Iron Bibby, like some people criticize, what is it, his world, his world record for the axle? I can't remember which one got more flack. Love the log, like, I think. Was it the log? Okay. So people give him crap for that. But like, if you were a log presser that's going to beat the world record, I'm not, obviously. Um, I would just assume that's the record and beat that for, like, obviously you have to, but I'm saying I would just yeah. beat it by a significant enough amount to be like, he might have gotten the record, but now it's very clear he does not have the record. Right. Versus going up by half a kilo or like or tying it or doing whatever and saying, well, I had a higher standard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's a good personal standard. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But, and the standards for some of the lifts need to be, uh, as Luke said, I don't think there's like a universal thing for like writing them down. Like I looked up NAS, which I guess is Strongman Corp, you know. Yeah. Um, and for some of the, for, for some of them, that when you actually read what they wrote for like their rules, they're like nothing. It's like axles, mm-hmm. like both elbows locked out and feet together and control. And like dumbbell is like only one arm can press it. It's locked out in control. And it doesn't specify, are the joints stacked? Uh, are you looking straight ahead? Right. You know, there's a lot of things it doesn't specify. And so like, technically you could be doing like a windmill and a windmill in their rules would be a loophole. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something that Don, uh, that Luke had brought up before too, that, um, and I think we may have brought it up to John and I, um, that there's really no, there are no standards written anywhere. And so, you know, Luke's kind of perspective was, is, uh, you know, let's start with, with writing some standards and, you know, try and get some buy-in. And that's like the, the most power I think any of us have is you have these conversations. We, uh, hope that other athletes agree and down the road, maybe, maybe things will, you know, the bar will start being raised just because people don't want as, as John puts it, that asterisk next to their, their world record. Right. Yeah. John, you got, got anything here? Yeah, no, I was saying that. I think that's important because I think sometimes the idea for one, I think it's good to specify that we try not to call out people personally, but I also think that it's that idea of like, you have to count people's records and just try to beat it by more and everything. Because I think that's oftentimes just the best way to handle the situation. Because oftentimes you get into this discussion of like, like Taryn said, of like, there are those records you see that there is the little mental asterisk that everyone has about that record. Like Iron BB's log, his elbows were a bit questionable. And then the, his axle one, he his feet weren't quite level, it seemed like, and he kind of bounced around after, but he still got it and everything. And I think oftentimes, like, that's important is just saying, like, moving forward rather than looking back too much and everything is kind of the best way to be solutions oriented and everything. Because of, after a bit, you can't really change what was in the past, but I think you can kind of change how things go going forward because there is... I think that unintentional pressure for promoters and judges is you don't want to be the person who stole a record from someone. And you also, you want your show to be 
the show where a record was set. So it's kind of like a hard spot of oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, we know this athlete could have done it. So like, it's a good lift and everything. But I think that kind of plays into the mythos of it. Then it makes it harder next time. Like you were saying, I've seen judges where it takes forever for them to give a down call with a press event. And then some people it's literally that split second that your elbows are locked and your feet are straight. That's it. And everything. And sometimes it's super quick, almost like the reps versus the max. And then other people, it's like, they want to see like clear eye contact with the judge. They, everything needs to be stacked. That's a very different lift than like quickly getting it right there and then down and then you're done. So I think it's always good of like, like you were saying, even if you think a record if a record was taken away from someone like trying to do more than that and everything, because there is that kind of like chipping things. I would say like half Thor's deadlift world record had a little asterisk next to it for a lot of people because he just chipped the 500 kilos. If he had done 505, I think there would have been slightly less debate about it. There would still be debate. I'm such a, I, I, I can't, I used to like Eddie Hall so much. I, I did. I mean, I won in 2017, you know, the 105 world. So he won in 2017. So, I, you know, we're supposed to basically be brothers. No, not really. Uh, but half Thor, man, the way that he, the way that he carries himself now and just like how he can like not be in the sport and not have to, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not a very big fan of like big people in strongman because like, cool, you're 400 pounds by nature. Like how hard is it to move 300 pounds now? But half Thor, I think, I don't know. I think he did, I think he did everything right. And I think, I think that still counts because it, it was the first event for Eddie and they never weighed Eddie's plates. And it was, you know, he was a business partner. I mean, Thor, Thor put it out and guess what happened? He got punished for it. You don't see Thor videos re reposted by that company very often. You see Eddie Hall videos posted by that company. So, and they both won once Thor had way more success in actual full competitions, won way more major competitions. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. And I don't want to not, and I didn't mean the knock Iron Baby. That was just a good example because yeah. we saw yeah. that just like the 500, just with, just like on the dead with the 500, once it got there, it's kind of gotten like, you know, some lockouts, a little questionable, you know, you know, stuff like that. Um, I just thought that was a good example because we were talking about the press yeah. records and stuff. Yeah, I don't think, and, and, you know, I think it's important to caveat too. Like, I don't think at any times, even if we did, you know, get a, an example of somebody, Specifically, Iron BB is at the very top of the you know sport. I mean, you know, holding the all-time world records. Uh, it, it's nothing. It should never be taken, and, and I certainly didn't take it this way. Anybody that watches this shouldn't take it as a direct insult against the athlete, right? Clearly, he's capable, uh, you know, um, yeah. of, of doing a very clean and controlled rep on the right day. The guy's incredibly strong. There's no question about it. You know, it just boils down to you know, trying to erase those asterisks next to the list so that, that right. everything is very legitimate. Because again, when the next person comes in, you know, well, if that slid, what, what can slide next time? And, and how far does the standard deteriorate until we're like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this is too much. Um, so yeah, I, I never, I didn't take it that, that way. Hopefully, I mean, maybe if he ever watches this, doesn't take it. <laughs> if he does, we're doing really well. Exactly, know? exactly. Um, but it, it, it happened with, I think, what, he broke Big Z's record that was in Brazil. And even that one's always been kind of viewed, I mean, probably really hard conditions because I think Big Z posted it was like on wood on top of sand. Yeah. That was tough and obviously no focal point above you. But yeah. his lockout was very, uh, it, it, the time from lockout to hand down was like almost the same. 
instance. Um, of not knocking Big Z. Obviously, he's like the best strong. Like he's the goat. So I'm not saying that. Um, but you'll notice that like uh, I don't even know what you call it, but it definitely on split jerk. But on almost every press, when you get the bar going forward and you kind of like step, but the bar is still kind of just kind of just kind of going forward. But you have but you have it locked out. Um, I did nationals in 2012. It was 300 for reps and. Mike Mustel, who is who is a middleweight pro, was my judge. He didn't give me a rep because I was split jerking only the stall mats for the thing, which I don't like. I want to have a full platform, so I didn't have much room to step forward. So I just kind of stopped abruptly and looked at him, and, and I knew it was going forward. But I'm like, man, I have it locked out. I could take three more steps and walk into his lap. So hopefully he'll give me a down call, and he didn't. And now it's too far in front of me. Obviously I can't hold it, so I dropped it. So I didn't get a rep. Fast forward, and I'm gonna I'm gonna crap on myself. Uh, in 2019, when I hit the 440 at Giants Live, I did almost exactly the same thing because the platform was about six inches off the ground. It was level. It was made very nice. It was a full platform. But I knew, like, I, I had it briefly, but I, I, I locked out so quick, it kind of went forward a little bit. Yeah. And I actually got two down calls from the judge. But if you watch the side view, you can see that when I, I'm getting cocky, I'm like turning my head. I'm actually kind of just slowly preventing it from going forward. Now, could I have? locked it out absolutely could i have stepped three steps forward yes i would have to step off the platform and i've missed numerous axle rec or numerous axles because of that because i can't step the, i don't know why we put a chair right in front of the person going i never understood <laughs> why do we do that? why do we do that i mean in the, in the olympics they're like on a table like 20 feet away and they, right. they touch it fine they have a little buzzer and everything's fine and then strongman were like you know what we need to be three feet in front of them right in front of their face if we don't smell their breath it's not close enough <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so that's hilarious. Because of the stat, I don't want to say status, but because of the level of the show, I think it changed, right? You're at nationals, very strict, a lot of people going. I'm no one. Now I'm they did set me up in the order to be one of the top guys in the axle with Rob. Um, so there is, you know, a little precedence of like getting you know, they want somebody to get 200 kilos in that show. They want sure. to go to the, you know, they want to go to the records and, and make TV. So you could argue that they gave me a faster down call because they're trying to get me to move on. And I definitely had more that day, but if but if if I play devil's advocate myself, that's one that might not look the best to some people. Sure, sure, and that's good, and that's good. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's you know, we've said this several times. This it, it's really got to be the athletes that hold not only themselves accountable, but you know, demand more from the promoters and the judges too. Say, hey, you know, we we would like to see. You know, I hit this record today. I want it. You know, I want it verified. I want everybody to know that it is what I say it is. And I want it to be a good, a good lockout because I don't want an asterisk next to it. I want it to be as legitimate as possible. So it is, you know, Luke, this is really Luke's point. I mean, that I'm kind of borrowing from him because I agree 100% that it really, you know, it, it, the athletes need to step it up too. So, yeah, kudos to you for pointing that out. Oh, I think. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want to pull it away now, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, well, wouldn't it wouldn't affect the outcome of the sport. I think that's the thing is like, if it affect if, if you know it affected the outcome, then it's a little different. Like at national, somebody gets five bags and they still have the fastest time to four bags. The only person that gets five bags, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. If anything, they wasted energy. So that there, it doesn't matter. But if, if you actually like jumped in between someone and stole three points and you win by a point and a half, then yeah, that affected the score. Sure. Sorry, John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was saying it because a part of it, I realized, like, as an athlete, though, like, 
as soon as you hear the down call, you're not going to like second guess yourself in your mind. Like, so I think it's hard, like you're not, I think oftentimes people look at it and assume that like the athlete was trying to somehow like not do their best. And it's like, everyone wants to do their best. So it's like that kind of trying to create a sustainable cycle where like the judging is good. It's good for athletes and everything, because I think that's the hardest thing as an athlete. Like there are those moments when you hear the down call and you're like, I probably could have locked this out better and everything looking back. But at the time you're just thinking, this is super heavy. I need to finish this and everything. So I think oftentimes like you don't want to direct it necessarily at the athletes and stuff. Cause it is like, it's a hard sport and it is, it is challenging. So it is kind of that cycle trying to create a sustainable relationship for everyone or trying to improve the sport overall, like making it easier for judges to make good calls, but also athletes to like feel solid and confident about their records and stuff. Cause it is that hard thing of like, you never know with some of these lifts, like with overhead, is it mobility that limits some of the lockouts? Is it other things because not everyone has that super mobility and, and i think that that's and really i think that, that should be what i mean see i see it as that being an advantage to the athletes that have it i see it the same thing as like arm length height because all those things are an advantage and disadvantage when you have lack of mobility in certain areas you have more stability potentially in other events you know when you're really tall it might hurt to do axle deadlift but you know a deficit or maybe like an elevated pull doesn't help you as much because now it's in like no man's land versus like it's just under your knees so i see that being okay um i'll go ahead and segue to our next thing so we don't talk about the world uh the world records and stuff yeah we can beat those horse to death man yeah. <laughs> but so i'll segue with the down calls we all know as being like athletes have done the sport for a while down calls are exaggerated beyond what you need to do for a training stimulus right like you know on bench press you don't like hold the lockout for three seconds like you do in a meet right you you know you just go the next rep and it's fine until it's meet day and you rush the rack command and you get a red light. I know that's powerlifting. That's not what we're doing, but I'm saying it's the same concept. Sure. So I, so I think with the beginners and strongman, like how to get in the strongman, uh, probably the thing I remember about, about beginning strongman was some of the, like learning the judging, like learning that there were standards. Um, and then just learning that uh, to kind of stay calm too. Like in my first competition, I was so amped up that I just like made too many mistakes. Um, so, so when I look at people getting in the, in the strongman competitions, it's like getting a coach or finding some level of knowledge and kind of scaling things back and starting from like a manageable point. So like I went to my first competition thing, I was going to do the log like eight to 10 reps. And I was just like, bam, bam, no rep, no rep, no rep. So um, I know I tried to link them together. Maybe it wasn't the best segue, but uh, I'm trying to just remember back when I started strongman and some of the things that have already changed. But one thing that's not changed is almost every new competitor that comes to strongman gets hit with the rules and regular you know and regulation of the sport and i think we've gotten better through like all the coaching and stuff online available and things like that to improve upon uh that you know a lot of the novice competitors have some idea because they watch youtube videos or have a coach and things like that yeah yeah i agree with you my uh when i first started my not only was i always so amped up but i would scream like at all the like i was i was like the entire cheerleading section <laughs> and I was just yelling at everybody by by the fifth event I was so exhausted that I could like, so it took me a while like while I you know strongman that's one thing one of the things that got me into it was the camaraderie right is having your your biggest uh, competitor your number one competitor 
being your biggest fan uh, out on the field or biggest cheerleader, it's great to do that. But but conserving that energy is uh, probably more important. <laughs> that was a lesson that I learned uh, eventually too. Now I'm kind of go find find a quiet place and conserve yep. my energy. <laughs> I was a obnoxious teenager, but I I, I think that kind of happens with like the start of a. Uh, a lot of people in the sport is, is just too much being loud and too, like, I don't know where people get it. Maybe it's all the, all the movies that have like everybody yelling in the locker room, like getting amped up, but that right. doesn't do it for me. And I think that's something that like, when I think about how to coach people getting in the strongman and, and what I could do better is just like, it's just, you need to be in your head a little bit. You need to like focus on tech, like on your technique and your execution and the game plan and when I think about the clients I have now, a lot of people gravitate towards me as a coach. I'm not trying to make this about me coaching, but I don't want to be about world records. But, but they gravitate to me as a coach because they're really analytical people. And I think there's a benefit to being someone who's, you know, like Brian Shaw gets, gets uh, a lot of uh, compliments on the fact that he's very much in his head. He's thinking through the events. You know, he's designing equipment to get better at the events. He's, you know, he's thinking through the strategy. And I think a lot of people get in the strongman and they're more thinking about the, Ugh! like be amped up and it's really a yeah. an athlete having strategy and you know being yeah. composed and the sooner you learn that like as a kid as a kid competing i don't want to take that away like i started as a teenager and i liked the fun like it was fun to be all amped up and yell and scream at my friends but as an adult i see that as being very obnoxious and, and very yeah. negative towards my overall competing uh yeah. constantly like on go uh, I think so, when you go, go ahead john yeah. No, I think that's important of trying to, at least like the more I lift and everything, trying to get out of that mindset of thinking you always have to be in that like sympathetic nervous system state of like amped up adrenaline high and everything. And it does like, you can see, especially if I did powerlifting for a bit and everything, and you see that of like people missing their lifts because like you're, if you're not in your head, like there's that instinct of you see people do a perfect deadlift. And then as soon as they hear the down call, they just drop the bar. And it's like, it's, it's going to be really hard to try to hit 700 pounds again, if you just hit it perfectly and you just drop the bar, like, right. Or something like that. So I think there are those times of kind of in a way of like being analytical and kind of this comes down to that idea of you want to train a lot, like you're going to compete of like, don't you don't want to always rely on that ammonia and stuff because you see people do kind of go for that of like constantly being amped up of like needing ammonia for everything and after a while it's like a lot of people i know don't necessarily use ammonia after a bit because like you don't want to be out of your head because you need to understand the whole situation so that's once fine. you stumble in a in a medley because you because you Hit the ammonia really hard. You realize that it's not it's not as beneficial as uh, as you like to do. <laughs> I think that's kind of like all all the things for arousal. You know, analgesic bombs, ibuprofen. You shouldn't be using all the time, obviously. Uh, even being in a group training session, but you know, training in a group. Um, I think that's one of the things that everybody gets in the sport training in a group. And I think that's how we're going to grow the sport is people in gyms, like starting groups and clubs and things like that. Uh, the negative is you have to like find the core group of people that trains at the speed, intensity, and proper arousal to like go further. So I've had a, not a ton of training partners because I've usually just trained at my house, but have people train with me. And there's been some that are, are really good about giving cues and that's beneficial. And there's some that just yell. 
And obviously yelling doesn't really help me. And there's some that are just quiet. And all you have to do is just like stop and look at the person lifting. And that says, okay, they're going to spend this time to look at what I'm doing. I better do a good job. And I don't remember what the effect is, but like when you film yourself, like you naturally want to perform better. So I know a lot of people think everybody's like, so like narcissistic, right? It's like a trigger word. I'm sure I have tendencies, but filming a lot of your lifts by yourself or even in a commercial gym, I think is beneficial from just like making you do a good job, you know, making you perform because you're recording it and you don't want to like waste that. Well, you know, not waste your space on the camera. I mean, now our phones are like a mega computer, but you know what I mean? It's like yeah, you hit exactly record exactly. and now it's go time. And I think that's, that's a uh, kind of how I'm, I'm sure it's how, how you guys compete, right? Like it's go time when like, you know, you hear your name over the microphone, uh, you know, instead of the microphone over the speakers and then it just like clicks. And I think teaching people to be more on their head and have that versus being amped up and relying on the ammonia and stuff. Yeah. Dude, uh, talking about being a narcissist, my wife thinks I'm a narcissist because I like I'll I'll record my videos and I'll watch them like 20 times, right? <laughs> but I'm watching because I'm looking for like the littlest things, right? That I want to do better next time. You're absolutely we right. Do, we all do that because like it's it's a high moment for us. Like we're, we're trying to relive the high event in a PR. Exactly. It's like a weird kind of drug. It is. It is the drug. <laughs> it's exactly yeah, it's what it is. Funny seeing that though. Of like like you said recording things is important because I know Darren and I both noticed since recording ourselves talking it's interesting to see little patterns you have of realizing I say the word like a lot when I'm trying to think of something <laughs> it's interesting seeing these things whereas in conversation you would never analyze your speech patterns but then once it's recorded you start to think oh you can see when you're trying to think of something or can't think of a word or these little fillers that you do. So it is this idea of, I think, um, like Louis Simmons or people have said of like, what gets measured gets improved. And there is this idea of like, you want to, you want to see that improvement of a lot of times recording things like filming from an unflattering angle, like deadlifts from the side or these things that'll make these cues yep. rather than always being hyped up. And of course, it's much more fun for, social media to film your deadlifts from the front and everything but realistically for training that side view is everything. <laughs> that's exactly what i do is, is i train it all I, I i film all from the side until the work set because i don't want to see how bad the work set breaks down because it's more of a mental thing like obviously it's a work set and if i'm going to like an rpe like eight or nine like yeah the last two reps are going to be a little you know weird looking so I don't want to get, but yeah, up until maybe the last warm up and prep, because like I don't want to get in my head, like on the last rep I do before I hit the work set. But yeah, it's it's definitely a fine line between like fine tuning your technique, and then like being mentally, in you know in the game, and, and that's also like I guess a caveat to being in your head is like you need to have have the ability to bring out that adrenaline when you need it. So you practice how you want to perform in training, and then you just forget it all when you go try, uh, go compete and it should just, that should just be there. It should be ingrained. All the motor patterns should be ingrained. So you can just be to a point an animal and, and go do it. it. You don't want to be the person at the competition be like, Oh no, the axle is like two millimeters thicker. I don't know. Should I have the straps need to be a bit? No, I fucking just, oh, it's, oh man, now we're not family friendly. Just put the straps on the axle <laughs> and pull it. <laughs> Sorry. You now I rated R. For strong Darn language. Shadow man. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, so uh, executing everything with with precision, and then when it comes time to do the thing, just freaking do it. And yeah, amen to that. Hey, we got maybe about six minutes left. Let's uh, let's kind of finish on the uh, thoughts, opinions on where the sport uh, was when you started, where it is now, um, anything in between, and and the future as you see it. Uh. Well, where it started is obviously in parking lots. So it's not in parking lots as much. Um, I think like the organization and, and technology and everything is, has made it so much better. You know, we got like Iron Podium, uh, all the live streams. Um, geez, I feel like I have to bring a photographer to shows. You know, it's like, I mean, I wish I did. If, if I look back, I wish I had brought like a photographer and videographers like all my major shows because like not only from a content standpoint but just from like a memory standpoint yeah. Been- um, but yeah I, I think it's it's uh it's doing really well uh, one of the questions I got on my Instagram was like how do you bring newcomers in without diluting the sport so that's something I think it might become an issue coming up because strongman and it happened with powerlifting not I mean kind of the same period is uh is it became like the participation sport. And I, I, it sounds really bad. Yeah, Everybody we had an entire episode on this. Oh, did I miss it? Oh, shoot. Well, I'll you go did. ahead. I think it was episode three. <laughs> Dang, actually, it was two. I think it was number two. Okay. Well, yeah, so I don't know what you guys said, but yeah, it's, it's become a participation sport. Everybody used to do like the 5Ks, the Spartan races, the half marathons, whatever, and say, oh, I did something hard. I feel good about myself. And I'm not knocking those. Those could be a goal and it's great. And I've done them. And I've probably done it for the same reason too. Uh, but yeah, strongman's kind of become like you buy the kit, you, you get the home gym. Uh, I mean, I'm on all these home gym f- things on Facebook and like there are people that probably only bench like, you know, one plate that have like, like kilo plates and like the gym is like 50 grand. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, they're all in it because they're disposable income. But I think at some point we just need to make sure that the levels to the sport remain the levels. Like it's okay for there to be a slight division between pro higher level amateur and hobbyist slash amateur. I don't think there's anything wrong with there being like kind of categories because in all other areas of our life, there are categories to things and we're kind of okay with it. And while we want people to be treated equally, we need to understand that like certain ones are going to be a little bit different in the sport, if that makes sense. Like we shouldn't be at no point should we be forced to put uh, people that are just starting out in a pro level show because they said it's not fair to be at that venue because they also pay the entry fee or, or whatever, and they want to be included. I, as long as there remains some type of prerequisites to qualification and there's no default route to get there, I think it will maintain the integrity of the sport while still allowing uh, a lot of people to participate. And I say that from the point of view also of like coaching people that I know are not planning to go to World's Strongest Man and maybe not even go to like OSG or like a, I don't want to say it's like less than World's Strongest Man, but you know what I mean, like a qualifier for yeah. World's Strongest Man. Sure. Is a lot of them just like love the sport, and I don't think at any point they would feel bad you telling them, "Hey, you're not going to become world's strongest man." Like they already know that, so it's not bad. It's just like when you start making everybody qualify for nationals, it sometimes can appear to be more of a revenue generator than a genuine it interest in like what they love to do because they sure. want to compete in local shows, see their friends, you know, get a medal, eat a bunch of food after they regret you know, stuff like that. And uh, I don't think the nationals bid or things like that are as important as we, as we think they are. And that's just, that, that's from seeing other people's point of view. To me, I'm an athlete. I'd love to go to the world Trans man. Probably won't happen. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's me too. I've, I've been, you know, my, my whole goal has always been to strive to be, I would like to win a world championship. I, I don't care which one it is. <laughs> I would just like to win a world championship. And I think that would be, that would make my, uh, all my work worth it. But um, yeah, there'll probably never be a world strongest man title next to my name, <laughs> even though I'm going to keep striving for it. Right. Are you saying you're going to 90 kilos? Is that what I'm hearing? 90 kilos. <laughs> man, my goal is to actually be under 231 by OSG. I was 242. I saw that. <laughs> I went like the opposite direction, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw you're down to 237 or whatever you had posted. And uh, I was like, shoot. Because you look, man, I don't know what it is. But like, it's mainly 105 guys, I guess, because I see them. Some of them are freaking huge. And then they post a picture of them on the scale. Or I'm like, what? Because, like, what? I'm, I mean, I'm like 255 right now, I think. And I look, I mean, I'm not in my best shape ever, but there are guys that look way bigger than me, that weigh 20 pounds less than me. I, I, I don't know. I don't they're know where. Shorter. It's because they're shorter than you. <laughs> some are a little shorter, but like some are still six foot. And I'm like, like, because I've lost muscle in my legs from injuries. So they're smaller than they've been. I mean, like, it makes no sense to me, but. Mine just don't grow. No matter what I do to my life, they just don't grow. <laughs> yeah, you don't need calves for strong, man. That's just the calves for strong, man. <laughs> totally That's underrated. Just, yeah. <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, because we did talk about it briefly in episode two, but I think trying to bring new people is, in it, is important. And one of the things we brought up is the fact that the novice class is so oversaturated. I've noticed at some shows you end up making the weights higher for novice than they could be to bring a lot of people in because you have people who are staying there too long, which I think oftentimes we are saying the solution is people, more people need to do the open, which we make, we actually got the Boston be a man guy to do a whole video about it. So oh yeah, that I did see that. Yeah. yeah, that was in response to that because that it was, was, this that was all John, John. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I was, it's funny. Darren was like, I'm not spending $79. And I sent a screenshot of the receipt. I was like, it's done already. It's too late. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm going to start. I'm going to start them then. Yeah, those cameos are surprising. Like, if you have disposable income, you can get cameos for it. <laughs> but that's that's where that whole meme came from, was that idea. Because otherwise, right. it's a strange thing where you have an empty open class the novice classes with 500 pound deadlifts and you're like that's really hard to get new people into something like that and everything well, that was one of the like other good questions classes. oh sorry oh yeah that was uh, one, of the, one of the other good questions from from instagram was actually exactly what you just said about the oversaturation of novice and i think the person worded is like that they shouldn't be there and i've seen it pop up a little bit in florida like someone that does a really well in power theme you know and they have like an 1800 pound total or more like inner novice strongman competition where one of the events is a deadlift. So you already know you got to win. Um, but I think it filtered. I mean, I think in some ways it filtered itself out because who the heck wants to keep winning a novice class? And then like you're there at the show and maybe you're like a 250 plus pound dude, but there's a 250 plus pound dude in another class doing more weight than you who wins and makes everything look way lighter. You know, it happens all the time. Like you have someone in novice who's like open, the like 105 guy who's like almost a pro goes. And if you're like a spectator, you're like, that guy in 105 looks like surprisingly better than the other big guy that's dominating the novice class, you know? So I think it balances itself out, but yeah, I've, I've, I haven't run into it with any clients that like want to keep doing novice. Is the rule still top three or do you have to win? 
Yeah, you have to win novice to go to nationals. So USS invites the winner. Oh, that's of right. The nationals. Mm, yeah. Now there's been a there's a loose. I don't know. So Strongman Corp, I think on their website says, if you take top three at novice, you have to move on. If you win, you absolutely can't do novice again. Um, I think it's something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, we see it out here. I see here in Colorado, like John said, the open classes are almost empty. The novice is just massive. You know, they have like 40 novices at every show. Um, and yeah, there's guys that have won and signed back up for novice out here. So. Did you, but did you have to tell them not like that they had to move on? I, it was not, I wasn't the promoter. The promoters oh, are sort of okay. signing up. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I, I feel like they did a pretty good job in Florida, but I, I don't follow it enough to really know. And I, it's kind of the same names repeating all the classes, anyways. You know, same. Uh, I was surprised there's only two people from Florida total in SC nationals. And I think in, and USS there's a little bit more, but for such a big state, I think it's just a, my state now has like unsanctioned meets by like some people that do a decent job promoting. So we have both the chairs are like relatively good for, you know, for each of the federations and then unsanctioned. And then you got a big powerlifting circuit. So you got like these four things that are like all competing, you know, for time. Um, but I'll end real quick. Cause I know we're over on time on the be a man thing. I hate to say it, but, also be a man going to open applies to like everyone. I think everybody should try to move up a weight class. I think that's Absolutely. like the joy of strongman is like being challenged by like doing the weights that world strongest man feels like. I know there's this thing of like staying in weight classes now, but man, I, the people that, and this might sound really like big headed to me, the people that I respect the most. And I feel like also give the most mutual respect back are some of the guys I competed with for the last like 10 years in, in open and open class, because it's just like a different game. It is like so different. And I think once you've done it for a little while and everybody knows how beat up you get and how hard you have to force feed yourself and like, yeah, you're not weight cutting, but there's a certain other problems that come along with being a big human being that has to do more weight, you know, heavier yokes, things like that. There just seems to be a really good mutual respect uh, amongst those competitors. And I think that just uh, it creates that camaraderie. So I really love the guys I compete with in open. I mean, I said that in, in 105 too, but because I started in open, have longer relationships there um so yeah so so coming up in like osg and stuff i i love watching the guys i've been going with for like you know eight ten years competing like wesley claiborne dross reynolds spencer remick i'm probably forgetting other names but like all those guys that like just kept going at it and like eventually got their pro card eventually got the invite eventually yeah. the asm and uh i'll add one more uh no i'll leave it that's enough i was going to add another little we have we have a bit of time. I I I, I have a slightly longer lunch, so we can we can add oh, in. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, like America's Strongest Man here is still like I don't know why it's a backburner show and it doesn't get invites to World's Strongest Man. It really frustrates me for all like my friends I just mentioned that do it. Um, but the shelf life of some of those guys that do ASM is like a really long time. Like the turnover in some of the weight classes seems to be a little bit faster. I don't know if that's going to change with the growth of the sport. Now there's more opportunities in weight classes. But if you look at like the winners of like, uh, like weight class nationals, weight class Arnold's and definitely like 105 ASM uh, from what I've looked at, I haven't like tallied all up, but I'm pretty sure uh, all the America's strongest man open competitors since 2013 or 14 are still active. Like I've been active in the last year. 
So like all those winners. So for like eight to nine years, but that's not the case for the weight classes. So I find that really interesting uh, for like a little fact. And uh, it, ho- hopefully I'm right. I'm sure someone's going to fact check it and I'll be wrong. Um, but maybe that will change now. That there's more opportunities. As people will be more incentivized to stay those weight classes or stay healthy enough. Because yeah. even though open is harder in the sense of like heavier weights, there is definitely weight cutting is not fun. And I don't like it. <laughs> and uh, I think from a health perspective, that it, there might be equally as many trade-offs to being heavy as, as there is weight cutting. So. Yeah, possibly. But I, I agree with you, man. I, um, you know, we talk about the kind of my perspective of what the spirit of strongman is and, and it is, it's, it's to be the strongest man. It's to, to challenge yourself and, and to strive to become the strongest. And, and at the end of the day, the strongest guys are the big guys. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a kind of like, whether it's novice or open, it's that idea of like, you want to perpetually push yourself and stuff. Cause I think oftentimes there is this idea, like with the 24 hour weight cut, there is that incentive of you want to be 20 pounds over your weight class, or you want to be the biggest person in your class. But oftentimes like, it's incredible seeing some of these guys who will compete in the one Oh five, but could reasonably have done almost the 198 class and stuff. So it is that idea of trying to perpetually push yourself because that's that idea that the best way to get to a 500 pound deadlift, if you only do four plates is to hang out with people who do 600 pounds. And if the reverse is true, if you're the kind of person who's deadlifting 600 pounds, but you only hang out with people who do 400, it's going to slowly slide because you want to still have that kind of push to kind of improve yourself. And those weight cuts are brutal and stuff. Like it's hard on the system, like can be hard on the kidneys and everything, depending on how you It's kind of a little, I mean, we already mentioned, but yeah, the longer weigh-in times that like, you know, 27, 30 hours has been beneficial. Um, But I think everybody should assume it should be 24. I mean, I remember making weight at 4 p.m. because that's when the show was going to start and that sucks. Yeah. You're up all day, just sitting in your hotel room, just like waiting for Pedialyte. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it should be 24-hour weigh-ins. Um, I'm, I'm actually the opposite. You know, I've done, I've done a 24-pound water cut. I, they suck, but I've never thought like after doing it so many times, like it's just kind of routine now. It's not like competing to me, you know, because like I've never, I can't tell you the last time. Or if I've ever actually, I mean, I did miss one weight cut once. Um, that's because I was doing open heavyweights for a while. Came back to 105, wasn't prepared for it. But that's been eight years. I mean, yeah, it was hard to it's hard to make weight in my last show just because I hadn't done it. But I had a scale malfunction, so I ended up weighing in, weighing in under anyways. But it normally wasn't like I say it wasn't too. It hasn't affected my performance. I never miss weight. It's, I think it's more the during training cycle. Like I noticed I got a couple more injuries like more recently because I was having to pull back calories during periods where I was probably pushing a little bit too much volume or just too much intensity. And yeah. uh, it's, it's nice to have like enough food to be able to like fully recover and not sure. add the other variable. I, that's got to be the harder part is like, you know, everybody can sleep the same theoretically you can monitor training volume, but see the open's got the advantage to just be able to eat as much as they need. And I think from, uh, I can talk forever from like a coaching perspective, that makes it different too, because you have like coaches that are only heavyweights that have never done a weight class and they train their weight class athletes 
with the same way they would do as an open. And then when it gets closer to competition, what's every weight class athlete doing? They're like slowly cutting back, like to be able to make weight. So they have this other stressor that open guys never have. Sure. So then it's, it's bad. And then the weight class athletes that have never been an open don't understand that even though it's like only 10% heavier on the yoke, 10% heavier amplified over every foot, every footstep over a train cycle and being a taller body might be more stressed. So it's really just an understanding of like both of them, you know, mesh together. That's why I, I love the fact I got to train being both. I think sure. that's a, and, and you've done both as well. It's like, it's a cool experience doing all the challenges. It's cool in life mm-hmm. to do all the challenges and, and experience everything. And then you can kind of say firsthand, like how it really was versus like, Oh, you know, but we do more pound for pound or, you know, whatever. I think running's badass too. So, I mean, it's, Everything I've done is cool. Dude, there's like so many. We talk about this too, man. There, uh, like all sports are badass, man. I don't, I don't care what it is. If it's you're running, you're doing CrossFit, bodybuilding. Everybody, there's a, a lot of guys out there. All are busting their asses. You know, they're disciplined. They're you know, working their asses off. I, I respect anybody. It doesn't matter what sport it is. Just, you know, anybody that's going to go out and challenge themselves and and try to be better every day. That's what that's what I respect more than anything. I, I don't care what sport you're in. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that unnecessary gatekeeping about sports can be so hard. Of like, we're in a nation that does have an obesity crisis. Like, maybe maybe don't discourage people from getting into fitness. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but but having them go to a strongman sport where like literally everything's a fat joke, I also don't know yeah. if that's helpful. That's sure. not Whenever people like when I tell them I do strongman, they're like, "Well, at least you're healthy," and I'm like, oh, "I don't know about uh, that." <laughs> yeah, like when you weigh like 300 pounds, or, like 30 percent body fat, you're still obese. And yes, you might be a little better than the average guy in strongman, but like having been 30 percent body fat or more, like it, I don't think that's something that's like, yeah, I don't know. Probably not. True. You see, Halfdor says he feels so much better these days, like in the current shape that he's in. I'm Just telling like, you. He, he's killing that life, man. I, I, yeah. I feel like he's got it like mentally and physically. I mean, he kudos to him. Not every strongman can do that. It, you Absolutely. know, be at the top and step away. Yeah. Cause that seeing him in person was crazy to see someone that big. And like, I got a picture next to him and I look like a child because he's just so big, but the really impressive part was seeing someone that size. who's like a lean 300 some pounds was just incredible to see. Cause it is like, like, you said with running and endurance sports, it's that same mind over matter of like, as long as you're challenging yourself, because I have the most I've ever run was like 15 miles, but there is that sense of like, after a while, you're just pushing yourself, just seeing how far you can go. And like, you will feel like your tank is empty and you keep going. So overall, all sports are pretty great. And strongman may not be the healthiest at times. Yeah. Well, should we end it there, guys? We're we're about uh, almost oh, yeah. a quarter after. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I, I could talk no, all day. You're good. You're good, <laughs> man. I still I, I don't know that people are necessarily going to watch this long anyway. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we I could definitely go yeah. on and on for for a long time, but. Do you have? Uh, you know, at some point, I think we're just we're just filling filling megabytes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything that like where can people find you or like you have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so my personal account is running strongman on Instagram. That's probably the main way people find me. Uh, I do coaching services under first called strength on Instagram, but yeah, if anyone has any questions, I mean, I, I love talking shop obviously. And, uh, uh, 
you know, I, I train athletes of all abilities. So if, if, if you're someone listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, you know, going for world records, I don't think I'm going to do that. Like, that's, that's not, I, I don't expect people to go for world records. There's a lot more enjoyment than, than going for world records. They kind of suck to prepare for, to be honest. So yeah, so go ahead and reach out if you need help. And uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, it's really cool to be involved. Dude, thanks for coming, man. This is a great conversation. Loved yeah. having you. Thank you.